Yeah, so I'm stoked. Part three of Loveology starts right now, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, for week one, we talked about love and what the definition of love is. And then week two, we talked about dating. And now tonight, we're going to talk about marriage. And it's going to be fun to really go back, because we're going to go to Genesis, which is the very first book of the Bible. It's where God sets up creation. God kind of sets things in order and get a clear understanding of what marriage is. And, and how many of you know that marriage is a hotly debated topic in our culture right now? There's a lot of confusion. There's lots of arguments about it. But tonight, we're just going to go right to the Bible and see what marriage is for. We're going to really talk about the purpose of marriage. And, and the main point of this whole, or this whole sermon has been this, and we're going to throw it up on the screen, is love is more than a feeling, or in its purest sense, is laying down your life for another. So that's what love is, and it's really important before we talk about dating and sex and marriage and all these things that we actually understand what love is, because love is not just emotional passion. It's not just tolerance. Love is laying down your life for someone else. That's what true love is. So love is more of an action than a feeling, and that's foundational because when we just view love as a feeling, then we don't actually love our neighbor because who really feels like loving their neighbor or loving their enemies? You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. I don't have warm feelings towards my enemies. I don't think any of us do, but Jesus viewed love as more of an action than a feeling, so I think that's really foundational to set us up as we talk more about just what is love and talking about marriage in specific tonight. So Tim Keller has an incredible book on marriage called The Meaning of Marriage. And if you ever want to get married, I encourage you to read this book. Uh, it's just foundational. It just really sets a good foundation of what is marriage and how do you have a healthy marriage. And I've been, for the last two weeks or so, I've been reading this book. And, and usually I take time to share a story at the beginning of the sermon. But this book is so good, I just wanted to jump in and share a couple of things from, Til, or from Tim Keller. And there's just one particular part where he spends some time Answering this question, if you want to throw it on the screen. Why do we need a piece of paper in order to love one another? So he's talking about why do we need marriage to solidify our love? Why can't we just live together or cohabitate or just have kids together and just do our thing without marriage? You know, a piece of paper kind of actually constricts our love. If we make it legal, it constricts it. It doesn't make it better. And the short answer is this, is love is not just emotional passion although it does include that. So love is also a sacrificial commitment. If you truly love someone, then you should be willing to close off all your options and make it permanent in marriage. So Tim points out that this question is presupposing that, or that love is just some emotional feeling we have, and marriage won't do anything to enhance those feelings. If we define love as emotional passion, then yeah, marriage might actually constrain our love in that sense. However, as we established the first week, that's a crummy definition of love. It's not just emotional warmness or passion towards another person. When the Bible speaks of love, it talks about godly love, which is agape love. And this means to lay your life down for one another. So when the Bible speaks of love, it doesn't, or doesn't measure it by feelings, but primarily by how much you will give to someone else. How much are you willing to lose for another person? How much freedom are you willing to forsake? How much of your time emotion, and resources are you willing to invest in another person? So when we view love this way, marriage is ultimately a test of our commitment to actually love that person. So when you say, I love you, but let's not ruin it by getting married, what you're really saying is, I don't love you enough to close off all my options. I don't love you enough to give myself to you thoroughly. 
to say, I don't need a piece of paper to love you is really just saying that my love has not yet reached the marriage level. This is foundational, and this is not my thoughts. This is all Tim Keller, so I'm not taking credit for this. Tim, or, so then Tim makes the point that, yes, love does include emotions. That's part of it, guys. We want romance. Romance is fun. Those are good things. But that's not the end-all, be-all for marriage. Marriage should have passion and emotional desire as well as sacrificial commitment. If you truly love someone, you should be able to make your bond permanent and say, I'm with you for better or for worse. So we don't need to pit desire and duty against each other. They actually go hand in hand. And marriage is ultimately a covenant. And this word gets thrown around. It's in the Bible. But I want to take a moment just to define what is a covenant. Like, what is this covenant of marriage? So let's put this definition up there of a covenant. So a covenant is a relationship far more intimate and personal than a merely just legal business relationship like a contract. It's more personal than that. Yet at the same time, it's far more durable, binding, and unconditional, the one based on mere feeling or affection like a dating relationship. A covenant relationship is a stunning blend of law and love. So like I said, someone who says, I love you, but I don't want to enter into a covenant with you, is just saying, I don't really want to curtail my freedom for you. My love has not reached that level. So with Tim's thoughts considered, marriage is an important relationship that all of us who are called to it should pursue. If you're called to singleness, that's a great thing. And the Bible champions singleness. It's a good thing to give your life just to serve God, and, and you don't have to get caught up in marriage. But for most of us, we're called to marriage, and it's something we should pursue. It's not just a piece of paper. This is an incredible blend of law and love. As we commit, I'm with you, I'm making it legal, this is permanent, but I also have these feelings for you. It's a, it's a stunning blend of law and love. So I think, or I think many of us long for a covenantal relationship like this, where someone says, I'm all in for you, and I want you to be all in for me, where we give all of ourselves to, or to each other. There's something about permanent relationships between two people who have no blood relationship that thrills us. Two independent people coming together to say, all of me for all of you. That's why most every romantic movie does end in marriage, okay? Like, we want it to end in marriage. And for me, at least, when I'm watching a romantic movie and they don't get married, I'm like, well, what happens? They just break up in a couple of weeks? Like, it's a bummer. Like, marriage puts a, it, it kind of puts a stamp on it. Like, this thing is official. This thing's going long term. Or how about The Bachelor and Bachelorette, the two worst TV shows on television? I tell you, I hate those shows. There's this whole story, I love you, and then three months, actually right after the, so right after the finale, you see the People magazine comes out, they already broke up. And it's just like, come on. Like, like what was the point of all that thrill and emotional passion? Like, guys, that leaves us all with this kind of empty feeling. At least for me, I'm like, that's not really love. Like, they were just kind of excited for a couple months. Like, that's not really love. Love is saying... I'm willing to close off all my options for you. I think we all long for this permanence, this relationship that says, I'm all in, I'm not going anywhere, because it does leave this kind of sinking feeling in our heart when we see these movies that don't end in marriage, or we see Bachelor, Bachelorette, and they break up like two weeks after. It's so, it just knocks the wind out of you. Why couldn't they have went the distance? That's the question we ask. Why couldn't they have stuck it out? So I think most of us want this permanent, this permanent relationship of marriage. But there's some of us who may wonder, what is the point of marriage anyways? Why should I get married? Like I said, like why do I need a piece of paper to show my love for someone? And some of us may be called to singleness. We're all at different places in our view of marriage. But I want to challenge you tonight. Do not view marriage as a bad thing or 
as a crippling thing, but view it as a beautiful thing from God because God created it and designed it to hold the most intimate of human relationships. And we need to do everything we can to actually understand what is biblical marriage, how do we prepare ourselves for it, and how do we live it out well once we're married? How do we actually live the marriage out well once we're married? So that's my prayer for tonight, that we could just walk out of here and really understand what is marriage, what is marriage for. So that leads me to this question. This is what we're going to ask tonight. What is marriage for? I'm just going to spend the next few minutes answering that question. Why do we get married? So if you have your Bibles, turn, or turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. So Genesis chapter 2 is a creation story right at the beginning of the Bible, and it's kind of setting things up. It's setting up the, or the created order, and and this is where we get the first marriage. So I'm going to pray for us, though, as you're turning there. Jesus, I pray again that you would just speak tonight. God, I pray that as we jump into Genesis 2 in just a moment, that you would just make the truth of the text real to us, that you would help us to, or to understand what you're trying to say. And God, I pray that each of us would be prepared for marriage, or if we're already in a marriage, Lord, that, or that each of us would, uh, or that our married would be a better spouse, Lord. I just pray for that tonight. God, just bring the text to life and speak. In your name, amen. All right, we're going to jump right into it. So verse 18, so chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, so he had created Adam, and he's hanging out alone, and this is what God says. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Then out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. The dog just, or just did not do it for him. The cat did not do it for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon him, and while he slept, he sneakily took or took out one of his ribs and closed it up. It didn't say sneakily. Or closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And this is the first song in the Bible. He just breaks out. The dude's so pumped. Let's read this. Verse 23. Every woman wants a man to say this to him. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She called me woman. Because she was taken out of man. I don't know if you've seen Into the Woods, but there's this part where the princes are, like, ripping off their shirt. Like, it just reminds me of that. I don't know. I just got that in my head. Uh, so, so, anyways, verse 24, therefore a man, and I'm not endorsing that movie, by the way. So, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, yeah, naked, and were not ashamed going to sit here where we just let that sit. <laughs> All right. So what I want to do is go through four purposes of marriage tonight. We're getting it all from this text. First purpose is this, friendship. Back to Genesis 2.18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So guys, we're wired for relationships. To be fully human and to feel fully alive, we need community. We need relationships. Just at the very beginning, Adam was trying to do it alone. It didn't take long before God realized that he needed a helper. And the reason that we're wired for, for relationships is because we're made in the image of God. And 
God has existed for all of eternity or, or eternity inside the Trinity. So it's not just like God chilling by himself in the sense that just hanging out by himself for eternity. No, it's the Trinity. It's one God. It's really hard to understand, but or it's one God and three persons inside the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. For all of eternity, these three persons are loving and serving one another. God is relationship in and of himself. So when he made us in the image of himself, that's why we need relationships as well. We're just like God. We're made in the image of God, and we're wired to love and serve other people. I'm telling you, the place that you'll find yourself most fulfilled in life is when you truly love and serve other people. That's where we find our fulfillment. Yeah, so Adam just needed a helper. He needed, although he did have God, he needed someone else just like him, another human being, to lean on. And more specifically, he needed a spouse. And like many people, Adam wanted a spouse to become one flesh with, to be like almost like one person with, although it's not like two halves coming together. Like, like if you're going to be single, you are like one in of yourself. You do not need a spouse to completely or to complete you. So that's a lie. You do not need someone to complete you. Like you can live your life on your own. However, for, for a lot of people, they're made for marriage. And Adam like wanted to find a spouse. So, yeah, so, or so marriage is meant to be a relationship that actually mirrors the Trinity and the relationship that God had within himself for eternity. So Genesis 2.24 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we talked about this Hebrew word for one a couple times. It's this word, akkad. Yeah, right up there. So it's akkad. It's this word, it's this powerful word in the Hebrew, and it means one. So when we say one flesh, it's saying akkad flesh. And, and what this means, a cod flesh, is, is you're literally fused together at the deepest levels with another person. Like there's no, or there's no more powerful bond in all of creation than marriage when you become a cod with another person. So one of the reasons that God created marriage was for you to have a companion, or a companion who fully knows you and truly loves you. Your spouse should be your closest friend. It's a picture of God's oneness in the Trinity, separate persons, but one in essence. God created marriage so you could walk through life with the person you enjoy, with your spouse as the primary relationship in your life, the one who knows you better than anybody yet still loves you. Like, how many know, like, if people know everything about you, it's hard to love you? Like, for me, at least, I got some bad sides to me. I'm a, you know, human being. I'm a sinner. And, you know, Emily knows everything about me, almost. And she still loves me. That's really powerful. It's really powerful. So Tim Keller says this. He talks about this. Throw it up on the screen. To be loved, okay, this is powerful. Don't miss this. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. And this is what marriages were fully known and truly loved. So he says, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our own self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. So marriage is a picture of God's love for us, fully knowing someone else and still loving them. That's what God does with us. He knows everything about you. He knows every hair in your head, every dirty thought you've had. That's scary. That's scary for me. God knows every single thought I've had, every simple thought. He still looks at me and says, I love you. And in marriage, we see that picture. It's the closest thing we can see of 
to God's love to us in this world. Two people that know everything about each other and still love each other, flaws and all. Isn't that powerful? So the first purpose of marriage is friendship. And I said this every week so far. The thing I love about my marriage is my friendship or with my wife. That's the most important thing for us is our friendship. You can't build a, or build a marriage off of sex. It has to be built on something stronger than that, friendship. So in marriage, like you want this friendship. That's one of the purposes of marriage. Two people that are headed in the same direction, who are on the same journey, who genuinely actually like each other. I can't tell you how many times I've been thankful to have a companion like Emily. So you don't have to get married to have this companionship, but this is a vehicle that God has for that close relationship. Like if you're called to singleness and you like, like have friends or brothers and sisters that you lean on, that's okay. Some people are called to singleness. But marriage is one of the ways that, or that we can find this love that God has within the Trinity. It's one of these ways we can have this close relationship. And, and with our spouse, we become a cod, one flesh, fused together at the deepest levels. That's really powerful. That's the first purpose of marriage, friendship. Second purpose is this, gardening. What the heck is he talking about? Gardening. I've never gardened in my life, to be honest. Uh, I was going to go into a story. It's not, it's not relevant. Okay, so the second purpose of marriage is gardening. So in other words, it's work or calling. So I'm not actually talking about gardening. I'm talking about, so for Adam and Eve, their calling was to garden, to take care of the garden, to take care of the earth. So that was their calling or what God had called them to do in life. So let's back up to Genesis 1 to, or to read about this. So Genesis 1 is a picture of creation from like 30,000 feet. It's like a cosmological view of creation. In Genesis 2, what we read earlier, is a sociological view of creation. It's on the ground view of what's happening. So this is the difference. There are two creation stories. They're telling different perspectives of what happened in creation. So Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that, or that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that, or that moves on the ground. So God puts Adam in the garden to take care of it and to work it. That was part of, his, part of his job description. In verse 26, he says, let us make mankind in our image so that, or so that they can rule. Then in verse 28, he says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. So humans were created to rule over the earth and subdue it. The Hebrew word, or the Hebrew word that translates rule actually means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. The word subdue does not mean to exploit or to harm the earth, but it means to harness its natural materials for human flourishing. So today we call this work. And work is not a bad thing, as many of us think. You know, oh, I got to work so then I can go boating on the weekend. No, because work is not a bad thing. Work is part of God's original creation. Each of you were created to do something. Each of you have a call on your life from God. Because we were created to work for human flourishing and to partner with God in making a beautiful world where humans thrive and walk with God. God calls pastors, accountants, teachers, 
stay-at-home stay moms, baristas, students, not lifetime students, guys, but students, to do their thing for God and for human flourishing. We all need that thing that God has specifically called us to do. And maybe that is to stay home and take care of your kids. It's probably not to play video games. Sorry, guys. So we need to know our callings if we want to have healthy marriages. All, mar- all healthy marriages should be built around a calling from God. To partner with God in making this world what it was meant to be. If the point of your marriage is simply to go to coffee shops and stare at each other and smile and goo-goo eye at each other, that's going to get old quick. I'm telling you, if you just start dating someone, you're like, come on, I can never get old. I love him so much. We <laughs> can only stare at each other for so long. There comes a point when you have to get up and do something and do what God has called you to do. Ideally, you should have this sense of calling before you even get in a relationship so you guys can both have an understanding of where God's calling you to go and then, then figure out your mutual calling and then head in that direction. So for Emily and I, like, what is our work? Like, we feel like God has called us to build the church and to pastor people. Simply put, guys, we want to take the gospel to places that the world like, hasn't heard it. And, and I know we're at a place where the gospel has been preached. I'm not trying to act like, like you and I have never had the gospel preached. But this is a place where people are dying and going to hell. And we feel like God has called us to pastor you guys and just get to hang out with you guys. That's what we feel like God has called us to do. And Emily is also called to be an accountant. Okay, so that's not very spiritual. The first one was spiritual. But be an accountant and take finances back for the kingdom. Come on. No, I don't know where I'm going with that. But, but that's her calling. She loves numbers. She loves those things. And she feels like God has called her to do that and to, take, to do her part for human flourishing. So maybe you're called to be a teacher. Or maybe, guys, you're called to be accountants too. And you're crazy if that's what you're called to do. But, and God has called you to take your little corner of the world and to work it and to do your thing, to do what God has called you to do and to make the world a better place. Each of us have a calling. And each of you need to grapple with this calling and partner with someone who's on the same wavelength as you. So I've said this every week. I'm going to say it again. It's going to get old. Don't missionary date. Don't, if you're a Christian, don't date people who aren't Christians, okay? Because if God's called you to take this world for him, to preach the gospel and your spouse is not on the same wavelength or like he or she doesn't even believe it, that's not going to work out very well for you. So do not missionary date. Adam was called to take care of the garden, but it was too much work for him. That's why God created Eve, someone to help him. So, or so helper does not mean personal assistant. It actually means partner in the Hebrew. So to work alongside someone to achieve a goal. So there are two equals working for God's kingdom. So guys, don't get any ideas in here. She's my helper. Uh, so anyway, so what does this mean for us? Women, don't marry a man who doesn't have some sense of what he's called to do. Don't marry a man that's just playing Xbox. I know I just slam on video games every week, and I play video games. I do play once in a while. But do not marry a man who just lays around, okay? Like, like women, you want to be able to respect your husband. If you can't respect him, that marriage is going south fast. You want to respect his calling and know that his life matters for God's kingdom. You need someone to partner with. And men, don't marry someone who doesn't want to partner with you. You need each other to accomplish God's task for your life. You guys need to believe in each other and you need to have a mutual sense of calling. If you ignore this and end up marrying someone who has no sense of their calling and you guys like, have no clue what you're going to do, it's only going to be a matter of time before you say, all right, what's next? You can't just have sex all the time. I said it. 
You have to actually get up and do something. You have to go and work. Like, marriage is not just getting it on all day, okay? You have to go and do something. Because you're made (laughs) to make a difference in this world. Marriage is a means that God uses to accomplish our calling. Partners for God's kingdom, doing what God has put you on earth to do. Speaking of sex, the third purpose of marriage is sex. Everyone's like, yeah. Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So Adam and Eve were friends and partners, and they were also lovers. In Genesis, they're just chilling together, naked in the garden. And naturally, they start getting it on. That's what happens when two naked people are just hanging out in a garden. So... So God created our bodies, so it's not like an accident. Okay, so God, like, creates them, they're naked and unashamed, and then they're, like, getting on behind the bushes, and God's like, what are you doing with that? You weren't supposed to do that. No, God knew what he was doing when he created sexual organs, okay? God's, God's wired us for sexuality. It's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty word. And he wasn't surprised when they were getting it on. He was like, go at him. Go at him. Good job. <laughs> I don't think God did that, but... I'm just, I'm getting too imaginative here. All right. So God designed us with body parts. All right, we'll settle down. (laughs) See, that's what's great about campus ministry. If I just talk about sex and you guys laugh at my jokes, so just say sex and you guys laugh so hard. All right, so God designed us with body parts that come together like a puzzle piece with the opposite sex. So marriage is an avenue through which we were meant to express our sexuality. And sexuality is a, or is a means that God uses to continuously glue our marriages together. Sex is something God uses to bring us closer to our spouse. and we're drifting from each other, sex can bring you back together. It can glue you together again. Sex is needed in every marriage relationship. I don't think there's a couple married couples in here I'm just going to say, have sex. Get it on. Matt and Rachel, do it. Have sex. <laughs> sex is a good thing. <laughs> there's only two married couples, so... I had to call him out. (laughs) So sex is one of the reasons for marriage, but it's not the reason for marriage. And we need to value sex inside marriage. We need to champion it. We need to celebrate it. We talked about this word akkad earlier. So akkad is being fused together at the deepest levels with with another person. And when we come together with someone in sex, we're becoming akkad with them. It's, It's when the lines blur between a man and a woman. It's when you're fully known by, or by another human being. It's a powerful and beautiful thing. And we need to have a high view of sex. Our culture is cheap in sex. But God holds it in high regard. It's not something to be thrown around with just anyone. It's something to be, be reserved for the marriage relationship. It's the only relationship strong enough to hold a cod. The untamed, fierce power of sex in marriage. That's the only container that can hold sex, marriage. It needs to be had inside of marriage where both partners are committed for better or for worse. Sex is not a performance. We shouldn't be performing for someone in a dating relationship by having sex with them, trying to perform. Sex is meant to be something safe and secure inside a relationship with someone who's committed to you for better or for worse. If sex is not had inside of a committed marriage, then it becomes about impressing the other person. 
when we have sex outside marriage, it becomes a performance, and we end up doing something that God never meant us to do, and that's to perform with our sexuality, trying to impress the other person, hoping that they'll stay with us. Inside the legal bond of marriage, sex becomes a self-giving, beautiful act between two people that say, hey, you're worth it. Hey, hey, you're worth it to close off all my options, too. I'm going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to be here tomorrow. That's where sex should be had. And when sex is done inside the secure covenant, it's a place where you can be your true self, completely, completely vulnerable, and you can throw down any facades. You don't have to sell yourself or perform for the other person. You're both committed to being completely naked, physically, and in every other way before each other, and you're committed to showing agape love for each other, not just eros love. We talked about the, or that the first week. If you wonder what that is, we have our sermon online. You can listen to that. So agape love and laying down your life for each other, that's where sex needs to be had. And you can have confidence that the other person will be there in the morning. Sex is not a consumeristic thing. It's not about consumerism, but it's about serving another person with all that you have with no fear that they're going to leave you. We'll talk about sex more next week, but I just want to say this tonight. Sex is meant to be celebrated, championed, and expressed inside marriage. And any sex outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is a distortion of God's design, and it only leads to pain and hurt. But in marriage, sex is the fusing together of two people who are committed for better or for worse. And the only reason God set, up, or set it up that way is because he knows everything about you, and he knows what's safe and secure for you, and he loves you. He doesn't want you to be hurt, and he knows that inside marriage, Sex can be safe and secure. It's not about performing or impressing or selling your body to someone else. It's in a safe and secure place. On a lighter note, the fourth reason is family. Now we're all happy talking about babies. So the fourth reason for marriage is the family. Genesis 128 says this, And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and, and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So God designed us to be able to have children and build families. It's not by accident that when you have sex, you can get pregnant. God designed it that way. The first command in the Bible is actually be fruitful and multiply. So God's saying have sex and have babies. So God is into the family. He believes in the importance of the family, and he believes that family is the building block of our society. It's a building block of a greater world. He says, God loves the family, and guys, we need to love the family. We need to value it. The family is an important thing, and when the family crumbles, our society will crumble. God set it up that way. Family is God's vehicle to fill the earth, and I believe that God wants to use the family to reach the nations with the gospel. I truly believe that. We need to value the family, we need to value children, and we need to value marriage. So for me, I'm pumped about having kids because I can have kids who hopefully follow or, or follow in my footsteps, maybe they won't. But I'm praying that they would go past me, carry on my legacy, and then do way more than I could ever do. And I wanna have a bunch of them, like six, and they can just go and take the world. They all go to one continent, take the world for Jesus. And they can carry on my legacy. They can carry on what God started in me. They can go even farther than I've went. We need to value family. We need to 
or prepare ourselves now for family so, or so we can be ready to lead our children in that regard, to lead them to be Christ followers, to lead them to do better than what we did. And it starts now. It starts with preparing yourself by not sleeping around, to be honest. Or it starts by now by making good decisions, by living a life that honors God, like or Josh talked about earlier, by spending time in the word, by preparing yourself to be the mother or father that God's called you to be. Some of us in this room have had crummy parents, let's be honest. I've had great parents, so I don't want them to feel like I'm calling them crummy if they listen to this. I've had great parents, but some people have had crummy parents. And you don't want to repeat what your parents did. I think we all want to grow past that. And the way, the way we do that is by becoming the person that God's called us to be, by spending time in the Word. Guys, don't use college just for a time to screw around and just have fun, which fun is great. I'm all for it. But just do whatever you want. No, use college to prepare yourself to build a better legacy. Spend time in your dorm in the mornings. Just spending time with Jesus. Don't stay out all night long so then you don't have time to spend time with Jesus. Get, take care of your sins now. Don't take per, or pornography into your marriage. If you're addicted to anything, don't take that into your marriage. Set your kids up for a better legacy. Don't let your kids carry on the generational problems in your families. It starts with you. It starts now. And, and you're going to have kids way quicker than you think you're going to. It's going to come soon. Like, I'm married. I'm only 23. And it's coming soon, guys. And most of you are like 21, 22. It's not, it's not an announcement or anything. We're not having a kid right now. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it's coming. You're going to get married quicker than you think, and you're going to be called to be a father or mother. Prepare yourself for that. Get close to Jesus. Get close to Jesus now. Don't play around. Don't fool around. You're better than that, and you're more mature than that. Like we're not kids anymore. We're in college. I'm not in college. You guys are in college. <laughs> Prepare yourself for this. Prepare yourself to have a God-honoring family so your kids can storm the gates of hell and be all that they're called to be. So our culture has two, or two wrong ways of thinking when it comes to thinking of the family. The first way is this. The first error is this. Children are collateral damage. So many people in our society have an anti-children view of the world. Sex is sweet, marriage, and maybe. Kids, definitely not for me. And more than one-fifth of all pregnancies in our country end in abortion. That's the anti-children view we have. Like, children are a burden on our life. And one-third of children go to bed without a dad. Come on, guys, you're better than that. Let's be there for our kids. Let's, let's turn that around. And the number of ch- children born out of wedlock to a woman under 30 is more than 50% in most of our country. We don't value children enough in our society so a teenager gets pregnant when she's 16, oh, the logical solution is to abort it. That's so far from God's heart. God loves children. And children can be used to bring us great joy in our lives, and it should be considered as part of our calling. Children are often viewed as a nuisance and family as a hindrance to freedom. This is so far from God's heart. God loves the family. It can bring you so much joy. We need to value the family, and we need to value children. Second error is this. Children are our purpose. So another problem we see often in the church is we idolize our children. We put them on pedestals, and they become this little crummy idol that we serve and worship. Young couples are hounded all the time. When are you going to have kids? 
when are you going to have kids? I personally don't mind because I'm excited about it. But <laughs> singles are hounded all the time. When are you going to get married? It's like your whole purpose. Get married and have a kid. And then many parents put their hope in their children. Their kids become their little gods. Parents believe that they just exist to make their children happy. And in situations like this, their marriage, first and foremost, and often God gets sacrificed for their children. Their children become the most important thing in their life. That's not God's purpose for family either. It goes God, then your marriage, then your kids. The family exists to spread God's rule over the earth, and we're called to fill the earth and subdue it. We're going to need more than just one man or one woman to do this. We need a family to make headways for God's kingdom and to do the most damage. That's why I'm having like 20 of them. Come on. This doesn't mean I'm just going up as we get through the sermon. It's going to be 30 soon. This doesn't mean that everyone needs to get married or all married couples need to have kids. Like I recognize some married couples can't have kids. Or it doesn't mean to live out the purpose of marriage that you have to have kids. But it does mean that family is one of the reasons that God created marriage and we do need to value it. The worship team would come up and the prayer team would come up just down here. With all this said, marriage is primarily for four reasons. You see them up here. Friendship, gardening, which is work or your calling, sex, and family. It just gives us a basic understanding of marriage. And guys, I could have preached for like four hours tonight on marriage. Like, there's so much to say. There's so much to say. Marriage is awesome. We need to value marriage. We need to get back to the biblical understanding of marriage. It's not just about if you have warm feelings for someone. It's about two, two pieces who are made for each other coming together and becoming one flesh. Two, two opposite parts coming together and becoming one flesh and having children and accomplishing God's purpose for their lives. That's what marriage is about. We need to value it. Marriage is not just something that dampers on your freedom. Marriage is something God designed right at the very beginning. The first command was be fruitful and multiply. We need to value God's picture of marriage. God's picture of marriage. Anything else than God's picture of marriage is not marriage. God's picture of marriage. And I recognize that we're all at different places in our journey. Some of you are single, and to be honest, there's no prospect of you getting a boyfriend or girlfriend anytime soon. I'm not naming names. Uh, Some of you are dating. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Some of you are dating. And marriage still scares you big time. Like, you're cool just dating. We talked about that last week. Don't just date to date. Some of you are dating someone, and you know you're going to marry that person, and you're taking steps towards that. And there's some of us who are married, some happily, and then maybe some not so much. But no matter where where you are at, I think God wants each of us to understand two things tonight. First thing is this, marriage is a beautiful thing created by God that each of us should celebrate and pursue if God has called us to it. And the second thing is this, and we're going to change gears for a second. The human covenant of marriage is just a picture of a far greater covenant that God wants us to have with him. God wants to make a covenant with each one of us And he wants to give all of himself for us through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. 
And in return, he wants us to give all of ourselves to him and to surrender our lives to him. Just as a marriage where God calls two people to submit to one another and to lay down their lives for each other, Jesus laid down his life for each one of us. And we are called to respond by surrendering before him and laying down our life for him, saying, God, my life is your life. Jesus died on a cross so each of us could be saved from our sin and so we could live the life that God designed for us to live. Tonight, I don't want any of you to leave without understanding the radical call of Christ to accept his sacrifice on the cross for your sins, to take care of all the junk and accept Jesus's penalty that he paid, the penalty that Jesus paid, to accept that and say, Jesus, I'm gonna accept your sacrifice. And when God looks at you, when you accept that sacrifice and God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see your junk, he just sees Jesus. And maybe one, or there's some of us in this room who came in and you don't have a relationship with God and you never accepted the sacrifice that Jesus paid for you on the cross. Tonight you need to do that. That's what you were designed for. You were designed for a relationship with God. Far above marriage. Marriage is just a little dim picture of God's love for us. Far above marriage, God has called you to be in covenant with him. To lay down your life for him. To accept his sacrifice for you. All of him for all of you. God's called each of us to that. And that's way more powerful than marriage. It's way more profound than human marriage. Relationship with God is what we were made for. You guys would stand with me. So as a culture, we need to have a healthy understanding of marriage. It was designed by God. It's meant to be an, or be an avenue for the most intimate of human relationships where a man and woman come together for friendship, gardening, sex, and family formation. And we need to start preparing ourselves now for this and make choices that are going to lead to a healthy marriage and family. And we also need to understand, this is way more important, that Jesus modeled a healthy marriage when he laid down his life for the church. So marriage is ultimately two people coming together who are committed to lay down their lives for each other. And it's a picture of Christ's love for us. Because Christ laid down his life for us so that each of us could have peace with God and live the life that he called us to live. That's what marriage is. Marriage is not... Like marriage is not just emotional feelings and it wears off after two years and you get divorced. Marriage, marriage is a picture of Jesus' love for us. Saying, I'm in this thing for better or for worse and no matter what you do, I'll be here in the morning. That's what Jesus does for each of us. No matter what we do, he's still pursuing us. And actually, when we rebel against him, he pursues us even more passionately. That's radical love. And that's what marriage is. Guys, that's what marriage was designed for. So let's bow our heads and pray. Before we pray, or I want to give you there's two ways to respond tonight. I really believe in the importance of responding to what God is doing. So the first way is this. If you came in here and God just really spoke to you tonight about marriage and you want to commit yourself to have a biblical understanding of marriage, to champion marriage, 
to believe in marriage and to prepare yourself for it, or if you're already married, to be the spouse that God has called you to be. If any of those things have spoke to you, I just want you to raise your hand just between you and God, just saying, God, I'm committing to this. I want to have a biblical understanding of marriage. God, I want to prepare myself for marriage. God, send me the spouse that you designed for me. Tons of hands going up. Tons of hands going up. You can put those down. Second question is this. If you're in this room and you've never truly like grasped just how much Jesus loves you, that he's willing to lay his life down for you, even in your worst moments, and tonight you want to come into relationship with him, put your faith in him and say, Jesus, I'm accepting the sacrifice that you paid for me, and I'm going to respond by giving my heart to you, by surrendering to you. If you want to do that tonight, I just want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. See that hand. See that hand. See any more hands? All right, you can put them down. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just pray that you would help us to have a biblical understanding of marriage. God, I pray that you would help us to prepare ourselves for marriage or for married to, to be the spouse that you called us to be. God, I pray that in a society that it has a confused vision of what marriage and the family is, God, I pray that you would help us to champion and love the biblical vision of marriage. I pray that you would help us to do that and to, and, and to more importantly, to live out what marriage was intended to be in our own marriage relationships or in our future marriage relationship. Secondly, God, there's a couple of people in this room who, who just want to make a commitment to put their faith in you. And as I'm praying, you can pray this in your heart. Jesus, we trust in your sacrifice. God, we're moved that you pursued us even at our lowest point, that you love us in the midst of all of our junk. And God, we surrender and say, my life for your life. Say, God, I'm giving it all to you. I'm surrendering to you. Come in and give me a fresh start. God, that's what we're praying tonight. Make us a new person. Jesus, we love you so much. And we put this all in your name. Amen. Yeah, so what I want to do now is I just want to worship. We, the sermon's done a bit early, so let's just take like a few minutes and just worship. And as Josh talked about earlier, guys, I just really want us, let's just get our hearts right with Jesus. We can't do it on our own. For those of us who are Christians in this room, I, feel, I felt really pressed on my heart this week as some of us are trying to do our faith on our own. And we're not, guys, we're not resting with Jesus. Let's rest in him for the next few minutes. Let's just allow him to speak to our hearts. If you have burdens, just let them go and let God speak to you.